Well, um, it's great to have everybody here with us this morning. And if you're listening online, whether you're on iTunes or Google Play now, um, thank you guys for joining us. Um, but before we get too st- too started too, too much into this, I kind of just wanted to um, ask you guys to join me in praying for this week. Um, if you didn't know, we're, we're part of the Missionary Church which is a really a global organization, but we're part of the Ignite Network, which is part of the. See, this is why you mute your phone when you're speaking. But um, we're part of a uh, organization called Ignite Network, which is part of Missionary Church um, USA, and um, they sent out an urgent prayer request this week. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen it on the news the um, volcano erupting in Hawaii. Well, we have an actual missionary church. That's on the side of the volcano, um, and so they're on the they're on the north side, and everything's flowing down the south side right now. But they're experiencing some major earthquakes. Um, but here's a great thing about why I love our organization: like they're not worried about themselves. They're actually um, what's kind of funny is they meet in a in a bakery, and so they're using their bakery as a way to um, give food out to everybody that's evacuating from the south side over while they're experiencing damage themselves through the earthquakes and stuff. So this is what gives you pray, pray for them. And, um, you know, it's just, it's really amazing just to see um, the strength of some people during that time. And so uh, pray for them. But, you know, like I said, we're glad you guys are with us today. Um, we're in a, uh, the second part of a five-part message series called Stand. And, as we're, and what we're doing is we're looking at five different stories from the Old Testament book of Daniel and, and learning how, how do we stand for what matters most. But how do we stand for what matters most in the right time, at the right place, and for the right reason. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to, our, listen to it on our website or whatever. Or whatever. And, um, but we talked about this idea of um, that we, we need to stand out. Like if, if we don't stand out then we'll always be blending in, right? And what we said was is that we want to we be remembered for standing out, not forgotten for blending in. And so um, next week, if you're feeling weak spiritually, we're going to talk about how do we stand strong in the face of spiritual oppression or spiritual opposition. But today I want to talk about how do we stand up for what is right? How do we stand up for what is right? And so I really don't care, I don't care where you are. At some point, someone that you love is going to make an unwise decision. Everybody. And every now and then, God is going to prompt you to stand up for what is right, to help guide them back to the right path. And, I just, and this week is going to be, is, this message this morning is really hard for me to talk about because um, honestly, we could hear this the wrong way. We could really hear this the wrong way and um, because it's a difficult subject to teach on. But because some of us are way over-confrontational. Way over-confrontational. And when, I te- when anybody teaches a message like this, it's like giving you a loaded gun, and you're like, who can I kill today? Okay. So I want to walk into this this morning carefully and with some wisdom because some people really are overly confrontational. But some of us are more passive, 
right? Like, just for hands, who in here would say that you're a passive person? Okay. And the rest of us who are passive that didn't raise their hand, you're like, I'm not raising my hand because there might be too much controversy in that. Okay. So I'm not going to raise my hand because we're that passive. But so to be real honest this morning, one of the reasons that this message is so very challenging, if you're taking notes, it's this. Some are unwilling to confront. Some are unwilling to confront. And we tend to rationalize this out a little bit. We say stuff like, oh, it's none of my business. Right? Have you ever said that? It's none of my business. I'm just, gonna li- I'm just going to live and let live. Who am I to judge? You be you, boo. Okay? And there's some, so there's some that are really non-confrontational, and, and, but that doesn't move things forward in people's lives. But then the other extreme, if you're taking notes, is some confront unlovingly. Some confront unlovingly. In fact, you know, if you, you know those drive-by shootings, I would say there are sometimes some people who do drive-by confrontations. They don't have any context for the situation that you're in. They don't have any relationship with you. They don't have any right to speak into your life. But they come in, they're like, bah, bah, bah. I'm going to tell everybody where they're wrong and social media has, like, pushed this to the forefront, right? It's, like, so easy for people who don't even know you, have no clue about anything you're going to, no context of what you're saying, and just come in and just pound out the response and try to correct everybody. They feel like, they're, like it's their God-given right because they're, all, because they're always right and you're always wrong. Have you ever felt that pressure? And so in all of this, we really need to seek God for wisdom as to how do we confront in the right way at the right time for the right reason. Because if we're followers of Christ, there will be those times when God will call you to intervene in someone's life because you love them. If you're a parent like myself, you may have a child that's making a bad decision and you, and you, need, and you need to know like when is the right time to step in. So you don't push too hard and push them away. I remember sitting on a couch when I was a kid at somebody else's house, and they were super, 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 super strict on their kids. And I remember, even as a eight, nine, ten-year-old kid, thinking, "Man, they're going to end up pushing their kids away, right? Because they're so confrontational. They so addressed everything." Even though they probably needed to be addressed, it probably was at the, in the wrong way at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. And guess what? They pushed their kids away. I don't want to push you hard where I have no influence in my kid's life or anybody else's life. I want to confront people I love in a loving and caring way. Or you may have a family member that's just making some really poor decisions. You know, like, you, you know that over time it's going to be devastating to them and so God may call you because you love them and care about them to step up and say here is a better way or your best friend and accountability partner continues to make bad sexual decisions and because you love him you love her and want the best for him and you understand you're not perfect and you're not judging but you want to love him enough to help him make or her make a good decision you or you may have a relative that's just a judgmental pain in the 
backside. Every family member has one of those. You might be saying, well, ours doesn't. It may just be you. Okay? I don't know. But we all seem to have one in our family, right? And every Thanksgiving, they're undercutting everybody. They're saying bad things about everybody. And maybe it's this year that you stand up and say, in our family, we're not going to do this. We're not going to cut people down. I'm going to take a stand and, and help you make a decision that blesses everybody instead of undercutting everybody. At some point in your life, you will need to stand up at certain times for the right things at the right time and for the right reasons. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And Daniel chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. And if you missed last week, you, mi- you missed my description of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was this, he was like so evil, so oppressive to the, to, to the people. It's like it's almost impossible to like describe how oppressive, in his, uh, oppressive he really was in his treatment. But here's a fun fact for you. Just to give you an idea. And this is true, you can look it up. Saddam Hussein saw Saddam Hussein saw King Nebuchadnezzar as a hero. He even thought of himself as a reincarnated King Nebuchadnezzar. That's how bad King Nebuchadnezzar was. He was horrible. He treated people horrible. And what's interesting is he actually saw God work and God move like enough to where it got his attention a couple of times you will see him throughout the story. Like we saw last week, he saw, you know, when, when Daniel and, and his friends, when they decided we're going to stand, you know, we're going to stand out, we're not going to eat the same food, they saw that they were actually better, so he realized what God could do in that moment for them. But then here we are in chapter 4, and, and it's like he's seen God work, he's seen God move enough to where it, where it got his attention, and even kind of, if we, we, we would like... He would even kind of lean toward the things of God. And quite honestly, like if, for many of us, we, we've done the same thing in our lives. We, we, we've drawn close to God, but then there's something like our pride gets in the way. And we're like, you know what? I want the things of God, but then we want this back here. And we turn around and we go back, right? Because we want this sometimes over that. And it's like his pride kicked in and he said, forget about that just much like we do. And so God gave King Nebuchadnezzar this crazy dream. And the dream so freaked him out that, that he, couldn't, he, like, he couldn't sleep, so he called all of his magicians in, and he called all of his interpreters in, and he said, what does this dream mean? What does this, and, so, and he would explain to him the dream, and, and if you, depending on what version you read of the Bible, some versions say that they wouldn't interpret the dream, and some say they couldn't. And, but I kind of think it's kind of in the middle there, that there's some like, well, I don't know, but even though it's a simple dream, they, a second grader could understand. But, but you have to think that if they knew exactly what it was, and, but they would have to be like, like, I, I would, like if it was me, I'd be like, I'm not going to tell the king this bad news, right? Because this, because like King Ebenezer and other kings were famous for actually killing people or messengers for the bad news that they'd bring them. If you brought a king bad news, they would kill you. He would kill you or have you killed. And so the king's like, what does this mean? And they're like, I don't know, king. That's, that's a good one. Why don't you go ask somebody else? Even though they may really know what it was about. Because once I tell you the dream, you'll be like, well, that makes sense. So, and that's what the king did. The king went and asked Daniel 
who last week, Daniel was probably around 14 or 15, but now in this story, he's about 45 or 50 years of age, and he's already interpreted some dreams for the king before, and so they have this relationship now, because he's been there for, you know, 30-some years, so he's built relationship, built trust. He's seen that Daniel, even though Daniel didn't believe the same way he did, but Daniel believed in what God said, and that he goes, he places men in authority, and we should, we should still be respectful and serve them. But now here's Daniel. He's already interpreted these dreams, has a relationship. Have, they have a solid, they've been solid for decades. And the king says, here's my dream. And he tells him that I dreamt about this giant tree that reached up toward the heavens. And the branches and leaves gave so much shade that it was a blessing to all these people. And the animals lived in the tree, and the fruit provided for many people. And suddenly the, a holy one from heaven shouted, Cut down the tree and only leave a stump, so that everyone would know that God is the most high God and rules over all the nations. King Nebuchadnezzar tells that dream to Daniel. And Daniel gets a real, it gets like I can imagine him, like if you're in the room, it's just conjecture, it's not in the Bible, this is conjecture. I can just imagine Daniel being really, really quiet in that moment. Because if you really think about that dream, who is that tree? It's King Nebuchadnezzar. But what happens to the tree? Gets cut down. So it's like, no wonder these other guys didn't want to tell him this dream. Right? So there's a couple things Daniel could have done here. If I was Daniel, I would have said, gosh, that's, that's a good one, King. I don't know what that means. I mean, I may have said, like, I'm sorry, King. I've, I've actually retired from dream interpretations, and now I'm playing golf in the garden. Or he could have said, maybe you just ate pizza too late last night, and you had a nightmare. <laughs> All right? Don't worry about it. But instead, what we're going to watch is that Daniel lovingly stands up to the king and helps try to point him in the right direction. Like, he stands up to the person that could have him killed. So what does this dream mean? Before we get into that, I, I've read some stuff on dreams, and I thought I would share some of this with you. And it's, this is according to several articles that um, a lot of us have con some consistent dreams, right? A lot of us have had dreams being naked. Some of, a lot of us have dreams of falling off a cliff, you know, those kind of dreams. So I thought I'd share some of this with you just for a little fun. How many of you have ever had a dream about falling? Anybody? Okay. That occurs early in your sleep cycle, like right when you first fall asleep. And, and so what it symbolizes is that there's something in your life you can't control, and it really concerns you. How about this? How many of you have ever, ever dreamed about like something like forgetting a test or forgetting something? Anybody? Okay. What that means is, I really did this when I was at Liberty. I would always dream about, that I'm now ready for that test. What that means is you don't feel adequately prepared for something. Like there's something coming up that you don't feel prepared for. Have anybody ever had a dream that you're stuck somewhere and you can't get anywhere? Okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I had a dream. I'll, I'll do a short version. When I was a kid, I watched Freddy Krueger. Okay. And I used to start having these dreams every night to where we would be at some, me and mom would be at some sort of meeting. Now it's the Tenova healthcare thing down here, but it used to be like a food city or something. And we were in one of those side stores in a meeting and there was a Coke machine outside. And mom would hand me a big thing, a penny, handful of pennies and go, go get us a Coke. And I would go and I would drop all the pennies on the concrete. And when I knelt down to get the pennies up, I would start crawling through the parking lot. 
and Freddy Krueger would jump on top of a camper. Where that camper came from, I don't know. And then he would jump down. As I'm crawling, he would jump down to kill me. And I, like every night I had this dream, right? And it would freak me. And finally I said, you know what? If I had that dream tonight, I'm getting, standing up and running. Well, I had the dream again. And this time I said, okay, I'm standing up and running. So I stood up and ran and never had the dream again. But anyways, what that, what that means is, is that when you have a dream where you feel stuck, like I felt stuck because I couldn't get up. I couldn't quit crawling. Um, what that means is you feel a little overwhelmed about something. Or if you ever dream about dirty water, anybody ever dream about dirty water? Okay, what that means is, is that your, it's your body telling you that it's sick. So if you dreamed about dirty water last night, you might want to go to the doctor this week. All right? Uh, if you ever dream about chocolate or something you like to eat, what, what that dream, those kind of dreams mean is that it's, um, it's like you've done something good and that you, you're telling yourself you deserve you deserve to, re, be, to be rewarded. Um, if you dream that you have to go to the bathroom, it means you've got to go to the bathroom. It's not. It's like get up, go now. It's not a dream. Trust, trust me, and ask Brittany. Okay. Or if you if you ever dream that you're naked, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to. I don't want to know. But I don't. And I, I, I don't want to get the visual. Visual. But if you dream that you're naked, that means that you feel vulnerable in some area of your life. Now, if you have a dream that you're naked and somebody else is naked, I'm, I can't talk about that in church, okay? Um, just saying. Okay, man, this is a big one. Has your wife ever had that dream? Like, you know, the one where you're with another woman and she wakes up mad at you for being with someone else in her dream? She doesn't talk to you all day? because she's mad at you because you cheated on her in her dream. Well, this is the interpretation of that dream. You married a hottie, and you better be good to him, all right? Just future <laughs> reference, all right? So here we have a king, all right, who has, who's had a dream. There's a big tree, and the Holy One from heaven says, cut it down. And he, he says to Daniel, who's interpreting the dream, the dream, who's interpreted dreams in the past? What does this mean? And Daniel, I, I can imagine, doesn't want to answer this. And the king says, "Come on, Daniel, just tell me what it means." And the first thing Daniel, first thing that Daniel says in chapter four, verse nineteen, is in the last part of nineteen. It says, "I wish the events foreshadowing, foreshadowed in this dream, would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you." In other words, he's showing that he actually, genuinely cares for the king. I wish these were not true of you. Because we're never going to be able to help somebody on the right path unless they know that we care for them. And then Daniel tells the truth. He says this in Daniel 4.22, That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great, and your greatness reaches up to the heavens, and your rule to the ends of the earth. So all the known world at that time was under the King Nebuchadnezzar's greatness. And then in verse 25, he translates the dream and says this. Here's what it means. He says, you, you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of the heaven. 
for seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone who chooses. I mean, you're going to be down on all fours living like a wild animal and a crazy man for seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar. For seven, year, for seven years will go by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives, them in, gives, them anyone, gives it to anyone he wishes. Just imagine him standing up to the king and saying, you know what, God's going to cut you down and make you eat like a cow for seven years. Can you imagine being King Nebuchadnezzar at that moment? Being like, I'll be, I, if I was him, I'd be getting mad. Don't be telling me this bad news. Verse 26. But the stump and the roots, because this, here's some good news, but the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. So Daniel interprets the dream before the king, and he could have stopped right there because he did what the king asked him to, right? Interpret the dream, Daniel. Interpret the dream. He could have said, here's the interpretation, and he could have very easily left it at that, but Daniel didn't leave it there. Because if you're going, what we're going to notice is that Daniel has the courage to do something that literally risked his life. He stood up to the king, not because he was proud of himself, not because he was arrogant and wanted to correct the king, not, not because he thought he was better than the king, but he stood up to the king because he loved the king. He called him his Lord. Not like Lord, as we, we call it, Jesus Lord, but he was like, you're, you're my master, I'm your servant, like I'm here for you, and I love you, and not because he was arrogant or thought he was right, but he stood up to the king because he loved the king, and he wanted the king to know the goodness of his God. And so this is, this is what he had the courage to say in verse 27. You ready? King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. In other words, I care for you. I want the best for you. And he says, and look what he says. He says, stop. Stop sinning. And do what is right. Stop sinning and do what is right. In fact, any time that we're going to bring loving correction to anybody, it basically summarizes what we're, what we're going to say, right? Stop spending your money foolishly and do what's right. Stop being harsh and do what's right. Stop disrespecting me, please. I love you. I want a better marriage. And do what's right. And that's what he said. Stop sinning and do what is right. Then he goes on in verse 27 and says, Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Stop oppressing people. God's given you influence over, over a whole kingdom. Be merciful to these people. Be merciful to the poor. In verse 27, he goes on to say, Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Please do what's right, because I want what God wants for you. I want you to be blessed, O king. Please do what's right. And so I don't know when it will be and what, under what circumstances it will be. But if you're a follower of Christ you're, you, you're, and you're living in a Christian community as we're supposed to live, we're doing life with each other. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, we're encouraging one another, we're loving one another, we're supporting one another, we're doing life around God's Word, we're praying for one another. It's, it's that's where you are. There's going to be a time when God is going to call you and to stand up. To stand up and confront someone. God's going to call you to stand up to someone else who's making a wrong decision, who's going down the wrong path. Just in the same way, there will be times when God will call others to stand up to you. Because you're blind to it, as I've been blind to many things. And try to help us back on the path. And where, whenever God calls you to be one to stand up, to someone else, it's important to be very prayerful about how you do this. In fact, there's a story in the New Testament, well, there's a writing in the New Testament that mirrors Daniel. In Galatians 6, 1, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Galatian believers, and he said this, Dear brothers and sisters, if anyone is a believer, if, if another believer is overcome by sin, when a what? Another what? Believer is overcome by sin. When another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should do what? You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. And I'm going to pause here, and this could be a whole other sermon, but listen. For too long, the church has expected non-Christians to do Christians' things, and we confronted them that way and have pushed people aside. So as Shift Church, this, is, this message is not for us to go and do to people who are unbelievers because how can we expect non-believers to follow, what, to follow something that they don't believe in? This is for us to encourage us to lift each other up, to stand on each other's shoulders because it's our job to get them Get closer to God. Get people closer to God. You stand on my shoulders. Let me confront you and lift you up as you lift me up. I love the imagery here because I because I love you. I'm here as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ, gently and humbly. I'm no better than you, but man, I want to help you get back on the right path because you are in a place right now that's that's gonna end up hurting you. And I care. Then Paul says something very interesting at the end of this. He says, And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So when we confront people, we're going to be prayerful. And I want to give you two simple, memorable, memorable and applicable kind of spiritual, confrontational type prayers. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes. God help us confront with the goal of restoration. With the goal of restoration. Like if you want to do if you want to confront in the at the right time, at the right place for the right reason, it should always be under the idea that God help us to confront with the goal of restoration, not judgment. We want to help someone that we love get back to the right path. That's why, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We never confront because we are right. Never confront because we're right. We only confront to help someone else be right with God. That's the only time we confront. That's so, like, that is so good, I might say it again. 
We don't confront because we're right. Oh, I'm right, you're wrong, and so I'm here to correct you. We confront to help someone else get back on the path with God. That's the only reason we ever confront somebody. So gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Because, see, approach matters. If I approach you with a judgmental attitude, you're not going to listen to me, are you? No. It matters. Because drive-by confrontations, angry people on social media, people that we've got no relationship with, that's just so ineffective. Like, I've actually blocked people on Facebook who, like, get on there and post stuff, comments on my stuff. And, that, and this is why I'm such a big believer in being part of a shift group. Because if we're doing life with, each, with, with other believers, if we're walking with them, if for you Christianity is, just go, is going to church whenever you can, you're not going to get very far with this thing, with, this, with things of God. It's when we open up our lives and our hearts and we're vulnerable with each other. That when, we, when you have access to speak into my life and I have access to speak into your life, that's when our marriages start working better. That's when, when we help parent children together. That's when we really, really can press in to the deeper things of God when we open our hearts. God, when we confront, help us confront with the goal of restoration. And the second thing is this. If you're taking notes, God, help me to confront with caution. Help me to confront with caution. Like, it's really interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to put this in. Gently and humbly, help them to the right path. You who are godly, you should do this. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Because what happens is... You become vulnerable to pride, just like I do. Well, oh man, oh man, I'm, I'm spiritual, and they're not. And before long, we can embrace this really prideful, sinful attitude that, that well, you better bless God that I'm in your life, because I'll have all the right answers for your life. Because I'm here to save you from the pit of hell, brother. God's given me the righteous judgment to speak to you. And keep you from going this way. You know, good sinner. Because that's how we feel sometimes when we try to confront people later. I'm better than you, bruh. So some people can be in how we can be a lot of times. And we don't want that here. And that's really what... That's really what bothered me about this. Like, God, you really want me to talk about this? Because it's kind of like... For too long, the church has been known for what we're against and not known for what we're for. I am not, if I ever give you lovingly, loving correction, it's not me saying I'm higher than you or that you're higher than me because we're both lower than God. And when we realize that we're lower than God, we'll try to lift each other up. It's the whole picture of the Trinity, really, if you think about it. God the Father lifts up the Son. The Son lifts up the Spirit, who lifts up the Father and the Spirit. It's kind of that same 
push. Like you stand on my shoulders, Courtney, so, that I can, so you can see God over that mountain. Oh, it's my turn to stand on your shoulders? I mean, I hope I don't break your <laughs> shoulders. But let me lift you up as, as you lift me up. Because we can't do life alone. We need each other to confront each other. Courtney, you are messing up. I'm sorry, I'm picking on you this one. You are messing up for real. No. That's why I, I was a little, I wasn't too excited about this because I don't want, what I don't want is a church full of people who are against each other. But I do want a church that's so in love with each other that we don't want to see each other get off the path. So I hate, hate it when Christians are known for what they're against. We want to be known what we're for. When we're for the kingdom of God and we are for people and we want to see others get closer to God no matter what it takes. And the last thing I want to hear is, well, Pastor Derek said you need to find three people to confront before sundown. That's not what I'm saying. We're looking to help one another get closer to God because that's what we're called to do. So that's exactly what Daniel does. Oh, King, man, I love you. I wish this didn't apply to you. I wish it... It were for your enemies, but it does apply to you. So here's what it means. And I humbly tell you, please accept my advice. If you stop sinning right now, this won't happen. This won't happen. Please accept my advice. Stop sinning right now because if you do, then maybe you can continue to prosper. And, and maybe God will continue to bless you. And what does a king, what does old King Nebi do? Does he go, oh, right, Daniel, you're right. Let's. Forgive me. Let, let's take communion and sing my defense together. My defense. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do it. What does he, what does he, what does he do? He continues to rebel, rebel against God. And for seven years, for those next seven years, what God, the dream that God gave him is what exactly happened for seven years. He was on all fours eating grass like a cow. For seven horrible years. So some of you guys are going to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to get it right and do this at the right time, at the right place, for the right reason. And you're not going to be overly confrontational. You're not going to be arrogant. You're not going to be harsh. You're going to do it the right way and lovely confront a brother or sister. And sometimes they're going to turn. They're going to turn and other times they're not. And here's what I hope you hear is that you're not responsible for their response. You're not responsible for what another person decides to do with what God's told you to do. You're simply responsible to be obedient to what God called you to do. And when they turn and decide to do, not do what you feel God told them to do, guess what you do? You still lovingly stand beside them and walk with them and guide them. You just trust God with the results. Derek, what about what if your kids start making bad decisions and they start going down the bad road and blah, blah, blah. You know what? I'm going to trust that God has them. I think I've said this before. One of my biggest prayers for them is, God, I want you to keep them safe. But if you want to send them to a dangerous part of the world where they could die for what they believe, then give me peace. You, you got them. What you got planned for them is... For your glory, your name, and your renown is the desire of my heart and what I want for my kids. You leave the results up to them, up to, up to God. 
And that's exactly what Daniel did. In the, in, for seven years, seven years later, by the grace of God, seven years later, verse 34 says this, After the time had passed, these seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored, honored the one who lives forever. For seven years, this evil king repents of his sin and turns to God, and God is glorified because he worked through someone who had the courage to stand up to a king that had the power to take his life. And sometimes you're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to decide, is my friendship with that person more important than them getting on the right path with God? you got to stand up. And it will be messy and it can be ugly. You know, it could be like if you're married, like you could be like in your marriage, you know, you can be like, you know what? I've been a doormat for too long. You've been treating me with disrespect and I love you too much to let this continue. Let's get counseling. Let's get help. Stand up. Your supervisor may be above you and not respecting your opinion. And, you're going, and, you, and you've got something significant to offer the business. Do you feel like you've been ran over? Hey, would you please give me a chance and express my ideas? I have something that I want to offer. You know, your child could be going down the wrong way and you say, listen, I love you too much. I made mistakes when I was young too. Would you please listen to me? I want to give you some solid advice. Stay away. Stop sinning. Let me help you in the right direction. Because when the Spirit connects in your heart and works through you in God's perfect timing, in God's perfect way, we believe that we're going to gently and humbly help people get back on the right path. Not because we're right, and they're wrong because it's our desire to help them be right with God. And we're open with others and want the, them to help us get right with God. You know, I think sometimes we... Uh, I'm going to share this story. I'm going to share two stories real quick. In three minutes. Here we go. Um, we were at a birthday party and this little girl and... There's a certain, a certain place in town where people like to go that are, it's really judgmental. Um, it's a real judgmental church. They're on TV, by the way. You can watch them. Um, and this lady who went there, you know, we, we only, I only have a handful of people that can speak into my life, right? That I allow to have influence over me. And this woman decided to confront me in a judgmental way. Right? It made me mad at her. Now, I'm not saying what she was saying was right or wrong. It was wrong. Well, it was what she was saying was totally off. All you people with tattoos and holes in your ears. If you're going to be a preacher, you got to get all that stuff covered up and take it down. Well, don't even. Okay? came at me judgmental, not humbly and gently. 
Um, if she would have came and said, hey, you know what, Derek, why don't you go and pray about that? Like, I would have said, okay, I'll do that. I could do that. She would have came to me, Jenny, but that's not how she came. But I'll tell you the second story. And this totally flipped the lid for me. Is and this is the part where I'm going to be honest. It's probably going to take longer than three minutes. Um, inside the Ignite Network, they have this thing. It's um, different things that you do, and especially with me being a newer church plant, newer pastor. I have a, I have mentors. I have elders that are over me. I have a, a coach, and I have all this stuff. And um, I'm, when I'm telling you the story, I'm going to let you know. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. Not all of this is clean out of my heart. But I didn't realize that I still had some built-up anger. Now I'm just going to say, I had some built-up anger at the place I was at before. Honestly. And there's still some there. You know, there's been stuff that I look back on and go, man, that wasn't such a big deal. I don't know why I'm so upset about that. But there's some things I look back on and just go, man, that was, that really hurt big time. And I was, he was, they, they had, they gave me a new coach and I was sharing, he asked me just to share with him the stuff. And he goes, you know what, Derek, um, I sense that you, you still have some anger in your heart. You're right. He goes, how about this? Why don't you pray about it? Pray about it. Seek God. And just ask him to say, hey, listen, if I if you if I have if I have some built up anger, can you just let me know so I can release that? You know, because he came to, he confronted me humbly and gently. I listened. So I'm wondering is maybe sometimes when we try to confront somebody about something they're doing and they just pushed away, have we approached somebody humbly and gently like he, like he approached me and just said, hey, why don't you just pray about this there and see what God shows you. Hey, I see you're, I see you're, I see you're sleeping with this guy and I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to have a conversation with you or that I'm saying, won't you pray about it and seek God and seek God's advice? Hey, I see you're really making this bad financial decision. Won't you just pray and ask God how you how He wants you to handle this and what's right? Or, hey, listen, I see I see you going down the wrong path in this in this um, in this lifestyle, and won't you just pray and ask God? Just let me know. Let me know how I can help you instead of going. You sinner, you're going to hell. If you don't flip your life around, it doesn't mean to spit on your Courtney, but if you just flip your life around, you know. What happened to the love of God instead of the... I mean, let me say this. You can't have love without wrath. You can't do it. Like, I love my kids, but sometimes I have to spank them. Okay? Sometimes we focus too much on the wrath and the judgment forget that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and your shame and your guilt 
And yes, there was wrath in the cross because it was God's wrath poured out on the sin of man. But just to think that you were just there, whether it be 25 years ago or a year ago, you were in the same position of that person you're confronting that just needed the love of God. And we are the love of God in flesh. We're His church. We're supposed to be the hospital for the sick. So let's quit judging because someone has an illness. Let's just let's just do whatever. Let's stand on the at the gate of hell and just snatch people as they walk in the gate. Let's charge hell with water pistols. Let's charge hell with water pistols. And maybe one day we can carry a super soaker up in there in that mug and just put it all out. Because there are 40,000 people in a 75 square mile radius around us. And statistically that means 20, around 28,000 people that are disconnected from God. They don't need someone to confront them judgmentally. What they need is somebody to get on their level like we have to do with kids and say, don't touch the stove. It's hot. Pray about it. Okay? God, I just... Um, God, I pray that uh, in the name of your Son that you would lead us to be a church full of people that are known for what we're against. Not, no, for, not, not to be known for what we're against. But, we are, but what we are for, that we really be the loving hands and the loving feet and the loving lips of you, God, that we just, we share the goodness of who you are and we just confront people humbly and gently, just like Daniel did to the king who he was loved and had a friendship with and say, please don't go this direction. I care too much for your heart for you to go this way. God, let's pray that we, that becomes a prayer. As we drive down the road home tonight and we see people pass us, we go out to eat and we see people at the restaurant that our hearts just burn to say, listen, please, I love you. Please keep, please don't sin anymore. Turn from your way. God, I believe that, that with this, if we confront people in the right way, what we've said from the beginning, that God, we don't want just another church. We want a movement. I believe that if we take hold of this and we stop being judgmental and we stop start start treating people with love, that we will see a movement start, not shift church, not severe heights, not whatever other churches is surrounding us, but that we see Jesus in South Knoxville. And from South Knoxville spread to all of Knoxville, to Granger County, to, to Loudon, to all these places that God let a movement start because people decided, hey, listen, we're going to stop being judgmental. We're going to start stop judging people. We're going to stop being harsh to people. We're going to start loving people and gently and humbly say, please, listen, I've been there. Don't go down that road. Don't touch it. It's hot. May us that are passive, God, give us the courage to stand up for what is right. For those of us who confront unlovingly, God, I pray you soften our hearts. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you guys.